gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew. Let us listen together for what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten young women took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those young women got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the other young women came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing and the understanding of God's holy word. Friends, the parables are always complicated and hard to decipher and hard to understand. This one is particularly so, but the first thing I think we need to do with it is to detach it from almost all of the other parables in the Gospel of Matthew. These other parables begin like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, and they all go on and begin in this way. The kingdom of heaven is like. Now we believe as people of faith that the kingdom of heaven is something that can break into our midst, that it can be here and now in the ways that we share God's love with one another. The kingdom of heaven can break into our living. But this parable is so different. It's the first one that begins like this then the kingdom of heaven will be like. It's not like the others. This is a parable about a future date. It's not about how the kingdom breaks in in the here and now. If we try to just include it with all of the others, the main reason that it doesn't work is because it would undo a lot of the message of the others that are about generosity and sharing and abundance in this passage where the wise say, no, we will not share with you, that would undo so much of Jesus' teaching about how we are to live here and now, how we need to care for one another. Whoever has two cloaks must give one to the one who has none. So it can't just be lumped in with all the others without damaging the meaning of so much of the good news, that we need to share and give and be generous, to provide for the widow and the orphan and the refugee, that we need to love our neighbor as ourself. This, if we take it to be about how we live here and now, no, we will not share with you, undoes all of that work. 
The Reverend Tracy Blackman, who serves as the United Church of Christ's Associate General Minister of Justice and Local Church, preached at a historic event in New Haven a few weeks ago when the Reverend Dr. Stephen Ray, former president of Chicago Theological Seminary, returned to pastoral ministry and was installed in a historic moment as the first African-American pastor in New Haven at United Church on the Green. In their, their spring chickens compared to us and their about 250 year history. Reverend Tracy Blackman preached a powerful sermon and here is just a portion of the scholarship she delivered to help us remember the core of the gospel for the here and now. She said 69% of the total wealth in the United States is owned by the top 10% of earners. In comparison, the lowest 50% of earners only own 2.5% of total wealth. And she talked about the book, Always With Us, written by public theologian and author and activist, Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, who says that when Jesus says the poor will always be with us, he is not saying throw up your hands and do nothing about it. It is an indictment against greed and injustice. The poor need not be with us always, she says. Poverty is a systemic sin resulting in unjust policies enacted at the expense of the most vulnerable among us. Poverty is not inevitable. We cannot read this passage and say, I have good self-care, I have good boundaries, and I don't need to share anything that I have. We can't read it and say, there will always be foolish people who didn't bring enough oil for their lamps, and it's not my problem. So we need a different reading. And again, we go back to how it begins in a completely different way. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like. What will the kingdom of heaven be like when we aren't talking about it breaking into the here and now, but when it is the end time, when it is actually time to go there? Friends, are you unwilling to talk about heaven? As faithful as you are, doesn't it stop you up sometimes? Do you actually believe that heaven is a place you will go? And if so, are you willing to admit it to friends and family? Are you willing to say that out loud in polite society? If you were to say, I believe that heaven is real, and after I die, my soul will live on throughout eternity in the presence of a loving God. If you were to make that claim, don't you think that the people around you might let their guess, their estimation of your IQ plummet. Don't you think that people would assume that you are just not that smart if you say out loud that you believe in heaven? It sounds naive. It sounds ignorant and empty-headed to our modern ears. Yes, we know there are people out there who will judge us for falling for this silly fairy tale. Theology used to be called the queen of the sciences. Now it is not considered a science at all, but childish superstitions. But this is a parable for talking about the end times, and this is a parable that I wonder if we can't also introduce some science back into it. I wonder if we can't bring science and learn more about what Jesus tells us when he says he is the light of the world 
that we will not walk in darkness but by his light, that the eternal life, that kingdom, will be lighted by his presence. Friends, we do know, even if we don't like to think about it, that this blue marble we are on will not exist forever. Billions of years from now, the sun will eventually die out like all other stars, and it will expand in a flash and swallow up this planet. There will be an end at some point. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like. Let's go back to this story and try to fill in some of the gaps. So there is about to be a huge wedding banquet. The bridesmaids are all ready. If the history I found about weddings in those days is right, the party would have lasted for days and days, and guests would have been picked up all along the way in a growing procession as the groom came house to house to gather up all of his friends and extended family and bring them together to the wedding feast. So everybody would arrive together in this procession and then the doors would be locked so everyone could be safe inside. So these bridesmaids all brought their lamps in case the groom's procession was going to reach them in the middle of the night, which it did. So the watchman is watching and they all go to sleep. So many readings of this passage say not to fall asleep and to be well prepared and to be like the wise ones who don't share, but there is something else going on here something radically different. The Lutheran theologian and preacher says, I don't think the foolish bridesmaids were foolish because they didn't bring extra oil or because they fell asleep. I think they were foolish for listening to the other bridesmaids tell them what to do, and they were certainly foolish for doing it. I think they were foolish in the exact same way we are foolish. They were foolish because they listened when voices other than God's tried to tell them who they were. They listened to those whispering voices telling them they can only approach the groom if they already have met their own needs first. And she says, this is what really got to me this week as I studied this text. It was reading this verse from Revelation 22. In the city of God, they will not need the light of a lamp for the Lord God will give them light. To truly understand what's going on in the story and how these five foolish ones missed the whole point was they forgot who Jesus is. They forgot that he says, I am the light. Why would you need your own little flask of oil to keep your own little light burning when the source of light is coming to you? You won't be able to miss it. Jesus is the light. Light is mentioned 433 times in scripture. Very heavy in the beginning, as you know, when God creates the heavens and the earth, the first thing God creates, God says, let there be light, and there was light. And I don't think scientists could disagree with this at all, that very early in the beginning of all that exists in the universe, God creates light. And then God shows up in light, in the burning bush that isn't consumed, as God leads the Israelites in the wilderness, and as Jesus comes, as the Gospel of John says, what was in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Jesus comes to us as light itself, and Jesus comes to all of us because throughout Scripture, we are collectively married to God. And this is as weird an idea 
as it could possibly be, so if it brings you up short, that's okay. Did you notice there's no bride in this passage? It's because the people of that time knew that God loved the covenant people so much that God chose to be married to them for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. God chose the people to love and to love forever. So they forgot who Jesus is, the bridegroom who's coming as light, and they forgot that they are the bride. They can't be forgotten or left behind. They don't need to be ready. They just need to know that they are loved. Friends, what is more wonderful or mysterious than light? Like I said to the children, we can take it for granted now that it is so easily accessible to us. But can you imagine back, can you remember when you were a child and you had a bad dream and you cried out in the night for your parents and they came and flipped on that light switch and suddenly you knew the bad dream vanished away and you knew you were loved and you were safe? One time when my family was away in the summer on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire, my, my nephews had gone out in the boat and they went all the way across the lake to meet some friends and to get ice cream. And when they came back in the boat, it was too dark for them to see on the way home. Now they know the lake like the back of their hands and they thought they'd make it home safely. But out in the middle of the lake, when it was so dark, no moon that night, they couldn't see anything and all of the shoreline started to look the same. Now, you're not supposed to make yourself the hero or the heroine of the sermon, but I am very proud of this moment because my maternal instincts kicked in for my nephews just as they do for my own children. And I went and I flickered the light that shines over the dock. Blink, 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 blink. And that light went out across the lake and they saw it and they headed right for us and they came home safely. And they couldn't believe it. My nephew who was driving the boat said, how did you know it was at that very moment when I realized I was lost and I was afraid when I saw that light blinking out across the lake and I came straight home and it was the most joyous, happy homecoming that we could have had because he felt lost and he was rescued by that gleam of light. But that light that is collections of photons just shooting out like waves over the waves of the lake and reaching his eyes is such a profound miracle that we can't even begin to wrap our minds around it. Even the most clever scientists come up short when they try to understand what light is. What is light? There's a wonderful book, All the Light We Cannot See, which the women's book group read a while back and which has been recalled to many people's minds because it has just come out now as a show. And light, you might be able to say, is one of the main characters of the book. One of the quotes in this is, the brain is locked in total darkness, of course, children, says the voice. It floats in clear liquid inside the skull, never in the light. And yet the world it constructs in the mind is full of light. It brims with color and movement. So how, children, does the brain, which lives without a spark of light, build for us a world of light? And it also says, what do we call visible light? We call it color. But the electromagnetic spectrum runs to zero in one direction and infinity in the other. So really, mathematically, almost all of light is invisible. And yet it is there. We say sometimes that 
We live and move in God like a fish in the water. We don't even notice it is there. But it might be more accurate to say that we live in the light of God, we live in the presence of Jesus, just as people who go about with eyes wide open don't even notice that everything they perceive is light moving toward them. Light comes to you. So the ones who were foolish had forgotten that. They forgot that Jesus is moving toward them. The symbolic lamp that we are supposed to keep trimmed and burning doesn't mean that we're always prepared for anything. It doesn't mean that we never rest, that we never sleep. That symbolic lamp we keep trimmed and burning is a divine spark within us that is ready to meet its fulfillment when we encounter the presence of the light that is Jesus. We don't need a flashlight. We don't need a lamp to go out looking for Jesus. We don't need a flashlight when what we are looking for says, I am the light. I am coming to you like a morning star. The scripture tells us he is here. Come out to meet him. That's all they needed to do. So particles of light energy are called photons. Scientists tell us they have energy and momentum. They come toward us like a wave. And one of the things that scientists still cannot make sense of is called this idea of quantum entanglement. And now I'm going to pretend I know what I'm talking about. I really don't, but this is what scientists tell us. Photons have properties of waves, but they set classical physics at odds with quantum physics. Now, each and every little photon of light will have a position, a spin, a polarization if it has an entangled particle that is perfectly correlated with it. Are you with me? <laughs> this is where they come up short, that there are these bonded pairs that can be separated. I'm, I'm preaching to an actual rocket scientist right now, so <laughs> do you know we have one in the room? There are these bonded, tiny little specks that can be separated by countless light years and they never lose the bond that they have with each other and they perfectly correlate with each other. And this is how what brings scientists up short because they cannot mathematically reconcile what it is that is going on. But I like to think that as people of faith, we could fill in some of the blanks when we understand that Jesus is like this with our very souls. We are bonded in an entanglement with Jesus. No matter how far apart we could go, Jesus is always bonded and connected to us like these entangled things that no matter how scientists try to explain it, it just doesn't make sense. Some scientists also try to interview people who have had what they call an NDE, a near-death experience, and these can be fascinating stories full of vivid details. But the thing that most people will say and the thing that most of these stories have in common is what? What is it that people say they saw? They saw light. They were moving toward the light. The light was moving toward them. We are bonded. We are bonded in this cosmic union, this marriage with this holy source of light. We carry a spark of it within, and it reaches us across divides. It is ours no matter where we go. We do not keep our lamps trimmed and burning because we're always prepared and always ready. 
We keep our lamps trimmed and burning because we are the counterpoint to the light that is Jesus, unbreakably bonded to that source of light. May we keep the light of that true wisdom trimmed and burning in our hearts from now until that day when we will come face to face with the true light and until that and all other mysteries are solved. <laughs>